0: And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. Oh, hey, real quick. I wanted to tell you what Matthew in Pennsylvania wrote. I had a great experience at savewithconrad.com. I worked with Derek and he quickly answered any questions I had. Being able to text him directly made things so much easier than having to wait on phone calls or schedule meetings at the bank. Being able to do everything from home was extremely convenient. I was in a tough spot with the pandemic going on, but it looks like everything is going to work out for me just in time. I would definitely recommend Conrad and his team to anyone looking for mortgage help. How can we help you? You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. But you do need 10 minutes at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. We're licensed in more than 40 states. And you even get to skip your next two house payments at SaveWithConrad.com. Hey, this is your
1: Olympic hero, Kurt Angle. Drop the chips, make physically fit protein snacks part of your daily gold medal routine. They're high in protein made from 100% all natural real chicken meat and organic plant protein. Air baked, low in net carbs and tasted insanely delicious. Grab a bag today and enjoy curbing your hunger with a crispy crunch and intelligent real food protein snack. Now you and your family can reach the gold with Physically Fit. Now available in 11 great flavors. Visit physicallyfit.com. Oh, it's true. It's damn true.
0: Love talking about my friend Steven Singer. You know, the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better, and he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven Singer Jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. Here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Not the case at Steven Singer. Because at Steven Singer Jewelers, you're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. That's why we trust Steven Singer. It makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. Check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philly or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's IHateStevenSinger.com.
2: He won a gold medal with a broken freaking neck He's a real athlete, so give him your respect He's got intensity, integrity, intelligence too Oh, it's true, it's damn true So if he ever finds you and you're chanting, you suck Then he'll douse you in dairy with his big milk truck And with one angle slam, he'll lay you out on the floor So listen up
1: Hey, this is Kurt Angle, and welcome to the Kurt Angle Show. We have an excellent show planned for you today. We'll be covering the death of my friend, mentor, and coach, Dave Schultz, and the impact he had on my amateur wrestling career. We will also be covering Team Foxcatcher. But first, I would like to introduce to all of you my co host. You know him as the Mortgage Maestro. Conrad Thompson, <laughs> Conrad, I'm good,
0: dude. I'm excited to be here with you. I have, uh, really wanted to sort of pick your brain about this topic because I'm always interested in folks sort of origin stories. And uh, I think I've read before that you didn't think you would be nearly as successful. Had you not met, uh, David along the way, right?
1: Oh, without a doubt, Dave had a lot to do with my success in my amateur wrestling career. I I met him back in, geez, 1988. I think I was a freshman in college. I just won the Espoir National Championships. That's the under 20 years of age national championships. You have to be a teenager to compete in it. So we were, I qualified for the Espoir World Championships. We had a training camp at Northwestern University. And Dave was one of the celebrity um, technicians. And we hit it off right away and we got along very well. He saw something in me that nobody else saw. And because I qualified for the Espoir world team, um, I also qualified to go to the USA wrestling Olympic camps. So I would see Dave there quite a bit and he would work with, you know, on the technique with me and teach me a lot of stuff. He was an incredible instructor.
0: I think a lot of our listeners probably only know of his story from the, uh, you know, the ESPN 30 for 30 or the Netflix documentary or the, the 2014 film about Foxcatcher, And I feel like more of that was probably focused on DuPont than, than David. And I want to, man, let's talk about David a little bit. Tell us about who he was, the man, the person, the wrestler, the, the, the amateur wrestler. And I guess we should also mention, cause we have obviously only wrestling fans listening to this, but primarily pro wrestling, we're not talking about, Dr. D, the guy who slapped John Stossel. We're talking about the Olympic badass, right?
1: Yes. Dave was an incredible wrestler. He was one of the absolute best of all time. He was a very happily married man, a proud father, great dad to his kids, and a great brother to Mark. He was just uh, an incredible human being that was always positive. He, he never looked at anything from a negative light. He was always positive, and he always wanted to learn. That's the one thing about Dave. He told me this. He said, you can never stop learning, and he didn't. He learned eight different languages uh, from all over the world, so he could learn technic- technique from all the best wrestlers in the world from different countries. That's how complex Dave was. He He mastered technique, and he was the best at it.
0: I want to briefly talk about some of his, uh, amateur accomplishments. Of course, I think he won the California state athletic champ or the California state championship, like two weight classes higher than his normal division and had what I've read to be the most successful senior year in high school wrestling history in America. What made his high school senior year? So special and stand
1: out. Well, Dave didn't start wrestling till eighth grade. So wow. He- have a lot of experience. He his senior year in high school, he, he was only in his fifth year wrestling. And you know, to dominate two weight classes above and pin everybody in the tournament until the finals, I think he won 12 to one in the finals, that's a hugely dominant, you know, senior year. And not only that, he competed in open tournaments. He would go where NCAA champions were and el- former Olympians were, and he would beat these guys wow. even in School. That's how good he was. He just and he just kept getting better after that.
0: I've read that uh, he becomes a three-time NCAA All-American, first at Oklahoma State and then twice at the University of Oklahoma. Did you ever talk to Jr. about David? Was he on his radar?
1: Oh yeah, Jr. was a big fan of Dave Schultz. I mean, he did go to Oklahoma, and you know, <laughs> Jr. loves Oklahoma. But um, yeah, Jr. talked very highly of him. I, I think Jr. met him. Uh, once early in the early nineties. And, uh, he said that Dave was a great guy and he was, he was the absolute best.
0: Yeah. How about this for a record when he's at uh, Oklahoma state university, he's uh 30 and four, and then at the university of Oklahoma, he's 61 and four. So his collegiate record is 91 and eight. This is like a real life Goldberg, right?
1: Kurt. Oh, without a doubt. He was a Goldberg. He was so dominant. And what made him dominant was he always learned new techniques and he, he, he used, um, his strength was not weightlifting strength. He was really strong, like wiry strength, like old man strength, you know, (laughs) (laughs) crazy because he never lifted weights. And the guy was so damn strong. When I first wrestled him the first time I did, I was 220 pounds. And Dave was about 168. So I weighed about 50 pounds heavier than him. And he beat the crap out of me. I mean, he used experience and technique and, you know, um, uh, leverage. He's very good at leverage. That's what made him so strong. But uh, he would grab your arm and you feel like he was going to rip it off. If he clinched you in a gut wrench, you were he was going to knock the wind out of you. He was just the strongest guy I've ever uh, wrestled, especially at that weight class.
0: Are you paying attention to, uh, what's happening on the national stage? I know you're like, uh, in 87, I think you were a senior winning state wrestling championships yourself, but he won a world championship internationally in 83. He wins a, a, a gold medal in 84 in the Olympics. Are you keeping up with all of that as a young man?
1: Yes. I was wrestling at the time. I was, uh, I think I was in eighth grade. And Dave and Mark Schultz were my idols. They were the guys that I started watching film and wanting to be portray them exactly like them. Them and the Bannock brothers, Bruce Baumgartner, uh, Randy Lewis, there are a lot of great uh, athletes on that Olympic team. And they, it was the most successful Olympic team we had. Of course, it wasn't a fully contested Olympics. You know, Some countries didn't participate that year but it was the most dominant year we've ever had. And the Schultz brothers were number one in my list as my idols.
0: Again, I don't know nearly enough about their story. I only know what I've seen in the movie and all that stuff, but it almost feels as if they present the story as if there was some maybe competitive friction between the brothers, David and Mark. Would
1: you agree with that? Nothing that brothers don't normally do. I mean, they would bicker and argue, but it wouldn't be over anything big. But, you know, they were brothers and they they competed, you know, trained together. And, you know, they were together all the time. But I think that the documentary painted a picture that they wanted to show more drama between the two. But no, Dave absolutely loved Mark. And he always took care of him. And uh, they were very close. There was no problem between the two.
0: When did you first meet these guys in real
1: life? I met Dave, uh, that was at the training camp. Uh, but I met Mark. Um, I believe it was a hall of fame induction, national wrestling hall of fame. And it was the first time I met him. And I, you know, a lot of people thought I looked like him. So yeah. You know, first thing I said to him was, Hey, I'm your twin Mark. <laughs> He's like, who the hell are you? <laughs> but, uh, uh, I got to meet him at a hall of fame uh, when I got inducted. And, uh, it was a, a very special treat for me because I, he was the one more than Dave at the time that Mark was the guy that I was trying to portray. I studied a lot of film of him and I loved this technique and, and his athleticism. He was just, uh, he, he, he was a gymnast for a while before he started wrestling and that attributed to his wrestling career. He was a phenomenal athlete. He was a much better athlete than Dave. Dave was a much better technician.
0: All right. So by now, you know, I am all about saving money, but I got to tell you something, I just discovered a new way. How about this? It was right under our noses the whole time. Quick question. How many subscription services are you paying for each month? Do you know, here's the thing subscriptions add up and sometimes we don't notice the monthly deductions from our bank accounts. Did you sign up for a bunch of subscription services during quarantine? I know I did, but now that we're back in the real world, are you still using all those apps and streaming video services? It didn't surprise me when I heard that 80% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. Are you one of them? What are you doing to save money and take control of your finances? How do you track all of your bill payments and budgets? Use an old school clunky Excel spreadsheet. You have scattered post-it notes all over your desk. Not anymore. Truebill is the smartest way to manage your finances. They have an easy to use app and you can review your recurring charges all in one place. You can cancel the subscriptions directly through the app. It doesn't get any easier than that. They have a variety of tools to help customers improve their finances. You can create a monthly budget and expenses. You can track and evaluate your savings goals. You can even create automated savings, meaning you choose how much to put away each week. You'll even get push notifications when you're getting close to going over your budget or when your cash is running low. And how about this? It's easy to identify fraudulent activity. The best part about this to me is it offers multiple ways to save on your bills. And that is what they are all about at Truebill. You also get bank level security, and you're going to be working with many of the nation's top providers to help negotiate and lower your bills. You're going to feel good about your finances. People think they spend like $80 a month on subscriptions, but a lot of times it's closer to $200 a month. In fact, Truebill has saved its users more than $50 million, and they've got over a million users. Read the rave reviews right now for yourself at Truebill.com. Check this out. The average person saves $720 a year with Truebill. Get started today at Truebill.com slash angle. Take control of your finances and start saving at Truebill.com slash angle. That's Truebill.com slash angle. What did... Um when you first become friendly with the Schultz family, what are they telling you about what their training regimen is like? Their routine is like, I mean, obviously if you're trying to sort of move up and you want to progress, you want to know, Hey, what did the greats before me do? So now that you have access and you're developing a relationship, are, are, is he sort of mentoring you on, uh, do more of this, do less of that. How does he sort of bring you under your, under his wing? If that makes sense.
1: Well, Dave allowed me to do whatever I wanted to do. He, he didn't really push me as far as training. He just taught me a lot of good techniques and, and uh, you know, told me some ideas he had of training of what I could do to better my technique and better my performance. But Dave wasn't like a, a trainer that he was like, come on, you know, one more. He was, he was more of a teacher. And uh, that, that's how I looked at him.
0: Talk to me a little bit about um, when you guys start to advance into hey we're going to we're going to do this full time we're going to become a team because I feel like sometimes we uh, who are in the amateur wrestling community we don't understand like what that requirement looks like as from a time and effort and focus standpoint in order to get to that world class olympic level it's not like you can just go have you know, for lack of a better word, a normal civilian life, you're working a job and you come home to the family and it is a one track focus,
1: right? Oh, without a doubt. You're, you're thinking, you're training, you're doing wrestling 24 seven and, uh, everything that you do has to, uh, help benefit that sport. So when I woke up in the morning, I trained all day until the evening and I would, I would do about nine to 10 hours of total training. It would have a lot to do with conditioning, weight training, plyometrics, uh, working on technique, drilling, live wrestling, uh, the whole ball of wax. And, uh, you know, you had to do that every day. Uh, Very seldom did you take a day off. It was a very uh, dedicated regimen. If you wanted to be an Olympian, an Olympic gold medalist, this is the kind of stuff you had to do.
0: I do want to... uh... I guess we have to address what was sort of explicitly said the movie and not, but in the spring of 86, a a wealthy philanthropist and donor makes some efforts to try to reach Mark. The man of course is John DuPont. He wants to recruit Mark, uh, and, and try to make him a wrestling coach at Villanova university. And this is where they maybe take some creative liberties with the actual events, I guess that just help the movie flow a little better but years before the whole Fox catcher thing happens, he's trying, DuPont is trying to put together a wrestling program and it's unsuccessful. And, uh, on Christmas day, DuPont fired Mark, like on Christmas day, this is a weird story. When, when do you first hear of this DuPont character?
1: Well, I, I didn't know that John tried to start the club. Before 1986, I I thought that Mark joined and Mark was a part of it uh, for a year before Dave joined on. So I'm not sure about the beginning of the club and when John started or when he fired Mark. Um, I know that Mark left Team Foxcatcher and uh, that was, um, I think, in 1988, uh, right after the Olympics. He had a very poor Olympic performance. And it had a lot to do with John. John mm. was all over him. Uh, John was obsessed with Mark. He he didn't want to leave him go. He was always around him. Uh, you know, uh, suffocating him. Uh, just got on Mark's nerves. And Mark was the kind of guy that you didn't want to get on his nerves. He had a short temper. So, you know, uh, with with uh, John just trying to be around him all the time and trying to gloat about, Hey, I'm with Mark Schultz. And, you know, it, it just got really old for Mark and Mark just decided he was done with it. And this is around the time Dave, um, you know, John DuPont contacted Dave as well to be a coach at Foxcatcher. So, uh, Mark left and Dave came in.
0: Okay. So here's something that you probably know if you've ever seen a picture of my dad, uh, my dad was full gray by the age of 30 years old all the way silver fox jones my dad had a full head of gray hair and so my whole life i've been told son your hair will turn gray before it turns loose and then in more recent years my dad's hair started to thin and i got nervous so keeps is here baby I decided to try keeps because I kept hearing about them on some of my other favorite podcasts. And now I'm here to tell you about keeps here on our show, the Kurt Angle show. Now, unfortunately, it's too late for Kurt. Maybe, uh, he lost his hair in a, in a hair match with edge back in 2002 in Nashville, but there's still time for me and you. you see two out of three men will often experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. I'm 39 and I'm trying to get ahead of the curve, baby. More than 50 million men here in America suffer from male pattern baldness, and there are only two FDA-approved medications that can help you prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Keeps offers simple, stress-free ways to keep your hair. Convenient with virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months, you don't even have to leave your home. It's a low-cost treatment start at just $10 a month, and Keeps offers generic versions— discreet packaging and proven results keeps also has more five-star reviews than any of its competitors prevention is key these treatments can take four to six months to see results so act fast if you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss go to keeps.com slash kurt to receive your first month of treatment for free that's k-e-e-p-s.com slash kurt to get your first month for free one more time. That's K E E P S.com slash Kurt and keep your hair with keeps at keeps.com forward slash Kurt. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. You know, I, it's weird because it feels like depending on, you know, which piece of media you, you select to hear this story, Mark is not included. In fact, I don't even think he's in the Netflix documentary. Any speculation why they don't discuss the Mark piece of the story at all?
1: I'm not sure who did the documentary. If it was the Schultz family that did it, I'm sure Mark would have been involved in the documentary. I'm not sure if this came from DuPont side or, or, uh, uh you know, a production company that, uh, you know, didn't contact the Schultz family. They just want to do the documentary. I don't know, but for Mark not to be part of a documentary about his brother, Dave is really unheard of. I'm not sure why that didn't happen.
0: So uh, apparently DuPont had his sights set not only on Mark, but on, on David too. And David had been coaching, you know, as an assistant coach at the university of Oklahoma, he'd also, and even at the university of Wisconsin, Madison, but eventually he goes from just helping with the DuPont program to actually moving to Pennsylvania, uh, to help run a new training center that John DuPont had constructed. And of course, this is the famous, Foxcatcher catcher facility. When did you first hear about Foxcatcher and that everybody was going to Pennsylvania?
1: Well, when Dave joined, uh, that was the first time I heard about it. It was, it was in the wrestling newspapers, you know, team Foxcatcher just started. John Dupont started a club. Dave Schultz is one of the coaches. Uh, it's going to be premier wrestling club. All the best wrestlers in the world will be part of it. And, uh, it was a lot of news in the amateur wrestling community. So, uh, John Dupont started a lot of buzz in amateur wrestling. And this was a great opportunity for everyone, uh, that could join that club. Uh, it would be very, very beneficial on their careers.
0: You know, Kurt, I'm going to veer into a territory here. That's a little weird to say out loud, but just humor me in wrestling. It's not a polite term, but in wrestling these days, Well, I guess forever guys have said, oh, you got to go see so-and-so there's money in them, their heels, that guy's a money. Mark John Dupont was an amateur money. Mark, right?
1: Yes. yes. I mean, John Dupont, he, he, he wanted to be involved in wrestling, uh, when his mother was still alive, but she wouldn't allow him to. hmm. And when she passed away is when John started the club. So he actually waited for his mother to. Pass away before he started, but he wanted to have a club. He was a big mark for amateur wrestling. He was a mark for sports. Mm-hmm. I mean, John had other clubs. He had a swimming club. He had a pentathlon club, a uh, re- wrestling club, uh, state-of-the-art facilities right on the farm where his mansion was. It was incredible.
0: You know, you're from Pennsylvania. So when, when there is a, a an eccentric person like this in the area, it feels like, people would talk. Did you ever do you remember hearing anything about the DuPont family, good or bad, before you actually became acquainted with the Foxcatcher concept?
1: I just knew that the DuPont family uh was the family that, you know, you know, in it, or invented gunpowder for the Civil War. They they <laughs> supplied it. <laughs> so that that's how the name became really big. And uh DuPont, you know, DuPont Chemicals, DuPont Foods, Uh, you know, there's just so many, it's, it's just a popular name and John's a descendant of that. And, uh, you know, knowing that, you know, that John has a a great deal of money and, uh, he contributed a lot of that money to wrestling.
0: Yeah. A great deal of money is right. it's estimated at the time he was worth at least $200 million. And, um, here's how variety described the relationship with John and Dave DuPont was a lonely, socially inept prince desperate to be embraced by his tough world-class athletes as quote-unquote one of them. And Dave, sympathetic to the man's strangeness and dependent on him for support for not only himself, but his wife, kids, and the athletes he'd recruited on DuPont's behalf was his favorite. An open-hearted bear of a man who not only embodied the athletic greatness DuPont himself coveted, but humored the wealthy philanthropist's own wrestling dreams, going so far as to coach him in competitions, for which, as old videos expose, he was thoroughly unfit. Can you speak to that? Do you think this is a fair assessment of Dupont—that he was lonely and socially inept and really wanted to be one of the boys?
1: I think so. I mean, John didn't have a lot of friends, and uh, I think that you know him reaching out to the amateur wrestling community, to the swimming community, the pentathlon community. It was for him to partake in, you know, communication with other people. John was a loner. You know, he lived on his mansion in his mansion on his farm and didn't have a lot of contact with a lot of people. And he was very private. And, uh, so I could imagine that John was a lonely man and that's probably why he started these clubs.
0: Is it true that they did like this, uh, I guess a fake tournament where, guys would come in and quote unquote, do the job for John DuPont to feel like he was a accomplished wrestler.
1: Well, I could tell you what I saw. <laughs> this is uh, unbelievable. We were in Bulgaria and, uh, you know, John funded the Olympic team in Bulgaria. He actually brought over their very best wrestler to train us. His name was Valentin Jordan. And, um, so he was funding the Bulgarian Olympic team for the Olympics that was coming up in 1996. This was 1995 and we had a tournament over there and, you know, the, in Bulgaria, the, you know, the, the arena was probably 15,000 seats. It was packed. And, uh, you know, we all wrestled in the tournament and, um, John DuPont at the end, he had a match, a special match. And our coaches went over to the Bulgarian wrestler that he was going to wrestle. Uh, he was a former Olympian. He was retired. And they told him, Hey, uh, can you do the job for John? Um, we'll pay you a few thousand dollars and he agreed to it. And John went out there and this is after the tournament was over and the crowd knew that John was funding the Bulgarian Olympic team. So they were behind John, they were cheering him on. So they were, they were cheering for John over their own hometown, Bulgarian. And the thing is, John was so horrible that he would pull the wrestler on top of him and fall to his back and give up points. And the Bulgarians trying to give up points himself. So the Bulgarian would flip over to his back and John would roll on top of him, And then John would flip onto his back and the Bulgarian would roll on top of him. It wasn't wrestling. It looked like two little kids playing, rolling around the yard. It was, it was just, it was, it was hilarious. And the thing is, the Bulgarian was trying to get John to win, and John just kept giving up points, and John kept was was behind on points. And thank God, at the end of the match, Bulgarian gave up three points, and John won thirteen to twelve. And, and the guy worked harder at losing than he did at winning. And uh, you know, John, they they the Bulgarians picked him up in the air, sir, carried him around the arena, and the fans went nuts. And it was like holy shit I can't believe I just witnessed a, a fixed wrestling match so the thing is you know John DuPont wanted to be like Dave he wanted to wrestle like Dave he wanted to act and talk like Dave he even would teach us technique like Dave obviously he wasn't very good at it he didn't know what he was talking about he'd show us something we were like looking at Dave like Dave's just like just let him let him go let him do this so you know Dave was trying to keep John happy and, uh, you know, John was, uh, just one to do everything that Dave did. And John was infatuated with Dave Schultz. And I think that was the issue uh, of why, uh, John ended up killing Dave.
0: Do you think, um, uh, we'll talk about that later, let, let, let's talk about when you first meet Dave, I, I want to clarify, I think you met him at a camp uh, over the summer at Northwestern university and somewhere in there is when he starts inviting you to team Fox catcher, or how do you first start coming to the facility?
1: Okay. Well, I, I met him at the camp at Northwestern. And then I was started getting invited to Olympic training camps out in Colorado Springs and Dave would show up there and we would train together. And Dave told me that, uh, John DuPont started a wrestling club and Uh, He was going to be coaching there. And uh, I thought, wow, this is a great opportunity. I said, "Uh, do you think that they'd be interested in me? He said, if you win the NCAAs this year, I'm sure they will. And I did. I won the NCAAs that year. And, you know, Dave and John invited me to the farm, Foxcatcher Farms. And I uh, sat in a meeting uh, in John's uh, trophy room. He had a trophy room with photos of, uh, him riding horses and competing in the pentathlon. And, uh, he did some, um, marathons and stuff. And he had some of the wrestlers up on the wall who won world championships like Dave and Mark. And, uh, there was a bear spot on the wall. And John said that bear spot is going to be you, Kurt. You're going to be a world champion. If you join my club. And I bought into it. I bought, I bought it because I, I wanted to train with Dave And I knew I was going to be a part of the best facility in the world. It was the most innovative facility that was ever built back then. And uh, so all the benefit, it it benefited only me. There was no reason why I shouldn't join. And uh, at the time I was in college, so I couldn't get paid by team Foxcatcher until I graduated college, but they were funding my trips to go on international trips and uh, to, to go to tournaments and, So John DuPont would would take care of that stuff. And, uh, so that, that's how it all started. And that's how I got invited onto the farm to join team Foxcatcher.
0: And I think, you know, even as you're training for the Olympics, you know, off and on all told you're there on the farm for like what the better part of six
1: years. Yeah. I was there on and off. I didn't stay there full time because I didn't have to, I was in college at the time, uh, when I started in the club and. Uh, you know, training at Clarion was a great situation. I would go up to Edinburgh university, which is only an hour and a half away. That's where Bruce Baumgartner uh, coached and trained. He was an Olympic gold medalist at heavyweight university of Pitt had some great wrestlers. I would train there. So I didn't have to go to Foxcatcher. I didn't have to live there the whole time because I was from Pennsylvania. It was a four hour trip. I could go whenever I wanted. And I usually went once a month for a week and then I would spend the whole summer there. Uh, but uh, I spent quite a bit at Foxcatcher and I'd use the techniques I'd learned there and bring them back to Clarion or Edinburgh or Pitt and work on those techniques with the other wrestlers
0: you uh, you wrote in your book that you never saw anything to make you believe that John DuPont was mentally unstable, but it was obvious to you that he had substance problems and he wasn't good with personal relationships. Can you expound on that?
1: Well, I you know John, he was very different. Um, John was, he, he liked to be the center of attention. And he was the first year of catcher. But when Dave joined, Dave became the center. He became the face in the name of the club. And he was the coach of the club. And John was jealous. John was definitely jealous. He was infatuated with Dave. He wanted to be Dave Schultz. And do I think John had mental illness Looking back now, yes. But back then, we didn't know what mental illness was. It wasn't barely discussed. So we didn't know how to treat it or what to do. Uh, You know, and, you know, there, John DuPont's attorneys tried to, you know, turn around and say we were taking advantage of him. Right. We weren't taking advantage of anybody. John knew what he was doing uh, as far as running the club. We didn't rob him of any money. He'd tell us what we were getting paid what we had to do, where we had to go. It was, it was just, uh, you know, John was coherent enough to run a club, but you know, at the same time, you know, he had some issues. He definitely had a, a, a level of mental illness and he took a lot of drugs, a lot of drugs, and all of those things could be contributing factors to why Dave or John did what he did.
0: When you say a lot of drugs, do you mean prescription pills or cocaine or what?
1: Cocaine, (laughs) that was his choice of drug, Um, a drug of choice, I should say. Um, You know, one time I was at his house at his mansion, just ordered pizza, and I was in his trophy room and he came downstairs and uh, he was sniffing his nose and there was white stuff around his nose and he was trying to rub it off. And he says to me, Kurt, you need to leave. I said, okay. (laughs) And I, the only reason I left is because he had a gun in his hand. Oh, I was like holy shit, like, what's going on? He said, you, you need to leave. Uh, so I left, and he took a wrestler down in his basement. He, there was a, a, a tunnel, a hidden tunnel down there from the Civil War when the DuPonts uh, were you know, producing gunpowder, and there was a, an escape tunnel from the mansion to another house, a guest house. It was about 600 yards long, and John found the cave, the tunnel. So he wanted this wrestler to go in the tunnel. It was only four feet high. So the wrestler had to bend over forward and he had to walk 600 yards and through the tunnel. And John got in behind him with the gun loaded, pointed at him. <laughs> 600 yards. <laughs> and this kid was praying to God the gun wouldn't go off. So John, there were a lot of incidences of John, you know, doing wacky stuff, but you know, we, nothing ever Turned into a murder until Dave was killed.
0: Did you have, when he said, Kurt, you need to leave. Did he mean like get in your car and leave the property and go home? Or did you have, you know, uh, I don't know, a bunk somewhere on the property?
1: Oh, we had houses. There were about 30 houses on the farm and we were all placed in different houses. So uh, when he meant leave, he meant go back to your house. I got you. I was just there, just there for dinner, having pizza with John and, another wrestler his name was rob and uh th- that's when the incident occurred
0: so let me ask when when you um when everyone on the wrestling club you know uh not john dupont the actual wrestlers the team when they're trying to reconcile his sort of erratic behavior and the way he's mimicking and almost obsessing about dave and back then of course we didn't know what we know about mental illness and boy, this is maybe controversial, but it's just honest. Did, did how many, I mean, by and large, you guys had to assume he has a crush on him. He likes him, right?
1: Well, I guess, I mean, he definitely was infatuated by and Mark. Mark was his first infatuation. And I think, I think John had his sights on the Schultz brothers probably years before he contacted them. But you know, John was just, uh, an odd dude. And, uh, you know what, you know, he was infatuated with Dave and Mark and the infatuation just continued. It's, it's pretty
0: crazy to think about how all this got turned around. Um, let's talk about Dave. It's been written that Dave could apparently push you more than anyone, just about anyone else. And I'm sure a lot of that is just because you respected his accomplishments, but you wrote that the guy only weighed 170 pounds, but he was able to just manhandle people, multiple weight classes higher than him. And apparently he had a mean streak too. guys would, you know, try to shoot in for takedowns and he would choke guys in a front headlock and then pin them before the referee even noticed they were out. What can you tell us about dirty Dave? If he were a pro wrestler,
1: Dave, yes, he, Dave would have been the biggest heel in the business. <laughs> uh, he um he was able to apply pressure points. He learned a lot of that stuff too from other wrestlers throughout the world, and uh, you know he would get someone in a front headlock, and he would uh you know put put his hands both sides on the you know the part that cuts off your circulation in yeah. your back, and uh, he would put him in a hold and lock it in really tight. And he was super strong. Like when I tell you his, his, his grip and his gut wrench strength were incredible. He put a front headlock on you. You You're going to, you're, you were squealing. you were getting choked out and you were, you were struggling and it wouldn't take long to pass out. And Dave, you know, did that in the Olympics. He, and uh, the, the referee started looking for it because, you know, a lot of the wrestlers from the other parts of the world were complaining to the officials, about Dave, you know, doing that. Dave was just a badass. He knew how to p- apply pressure points and make people pass out. Uh, you know, the, him and his brother were brutal on the mat. They were just very violent, very physical. Uh, you know, if Dave took your arm, he, he, you know, he was going to try to break it. I mean, he was just, he was just amazing. His strength was incredible for his size. And, uh, both of the Schultz brothers were incredible wrestlers and they were very physical.
0: Credit karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help even more with a credit karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Who doesn't want instant gratification? If you're looking for satisfaction, there's no need to wait with credit karma money, you could win cash reimbursements for debit purchases. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money. Progress starts here. Right now, you can visit creditkarma.com forward slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma go to creditkarma.com forward slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma that's creditkarma.com slash win money instant karma is sponsored by credit karma there's no purchase necessary exclusions and terms apply see rules banking services provided by mv banking services provided by mvb bank incorporated member fdic maximum balance and transfer limits apply Hurry. That's credit karma.com slash win money. Compare him to a guy, you know, that we hear all the time on JR's podcast. I know it's a different era, but Danny Hodge supposedly had a grip strength that you wouldn't believe. He could just crack pliers and he could just squeeze an apple and burst it and turn it into apple juice. But it sounds like this sort of raw strength you're talking about. Dave had his own version of that, right?
1: Oh, he was exactly like Danny Hodge. You know, I'm sure that Dave he tried to crush an apple, he'd be able to do it. His grip strength was incredible. And, uh, his whole body crazy thing is he never lifted weights. It's uh, unbelievable. Weight. <laughs> and, you know, he never gained or lost weight. He was always, he was always wiry and thin and, you know, not a lot to, not a lot of mass to his body. And he was really hairy. He looked like he was wearing a coat. <laughs> yeah. His, his body hair was just so hairy. And, uh, you know, it, it, but it made him look like a, 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 lovable bear. That's how Dave looked. You know, he had the beard and, you know, he's bald up top, but, um, like a yeah, skinny Dutchman of- tail with the body hair though. Right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Exactly. Uh, he didn't look like much, but he was a real badass. You,
0: you also wrote that he had a very unconventional style that he would create cutting edge moves, something you'd never seen anyone else do judo tricks that would blow your mind. And he also learned eight different languages in an effort to be the best wrestler in the world. Cause if he can hear what their coaches are saying or their instructions, maybe that's an advantage, right?
1: Oh, without a doubt. And Dave also wanted to learn the languages because he wanted to learn technique from the wrestlers. Uh, he, he was always open to that. He, uh, you know, the crazy thing is when we go on international tours, Dave knew just about every language of every country went, we went to, so it wouldn't be that hard to communicate with the people there because Dave was so well educated with his, you know, learning different languages, but he did it because he wanted to be the best wrestler in the world. And he wanted to, uh, keep getting knowledge. That that was his whole concept of why he did rest, why he wrestled. He wanted to gain knowledge of wrestling. Every, every second that he spent, uh, training wrestling, was about getting smarter and more knowledgeable of wrestling. That's what it was all about today.
0: You had a, uh, pretty rough experience over in Russia in 95. And I think Dave was tagging along with you. Can you tell us that story?
1: Yeah, I was, uh, we had a tournament where, you know, I just won the worlds and, uh, they, Russia wanted to have this big, uh, meet where Russia's number one team would face the world champions all over the world. And I was invited there. So I went there and um, the day before the event, I went to run along the river uh, to do a five mile run just to you know loosen up. And uh, a river dog uh, snuck up on me and started barking and growling. And I turned around and it was foaming at the mouth. I knew it had rabies and I was like, holy shit, I'm going to have to fight this dog off. It wasn't a very big dog. So I'm kicking it and it runs away. So I start running again. The dog catches up to me, sneaks up on me. The little bastard bit me on the leg. <laughs> it took out a big chunk in my shin. Oh my gosh. And I turn around and it's growling and barking and I'm kicking at it, trying to scare it away. It finally goes away. So I go back to the hotel and I see Dave out front. I said, Dave, I just got bit by a dog. I need to go to the hospital. And Dave told the, the Russians there, he was speaking in Russian. He told them that, uh, you know, I got bit by a dog and I need to go to the hospital. And the Russians tell him, if he's not howling by midnight, he'll be okay. <laughs> I said, Dave, I'm, I'm not taking that advice. I need to go to the hospital. The Russians, if you get bit by a dog, they don't care. I mean, they wow. just just suck it up and, you know, put a Band-Aid on it. So uh, So I'm on the way to the hospital. And I had a translator with me and, uh, the Russian driver, uh, it was a black Mercedes, a big one. And, uh, you know, the wrestlers in Russia are part of the mafia over there. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm on a highway and going the wrong way on the highway, going 120 miles an hour. It was 200 kilometers per hour. We were going, I saw his odometer. So that's about 120 miles an hour. We're going the wrong way on the highway. He's flashing his high beams at oncoming traffic. And I'm, I'm telling the, the translator, it's not an emergency. He said, well, I think the guy's just pissed off because he probably has another run he needs to do. So he wants to get to the hospital as quickly as possible. So thank God we didn't die. I get to the hospital. I go in the emergency room and the doctor's sitting behind the desk and she's reading a book and I sit down and I'm waiting a half hour and she's not responding. She looks up at me and shakes her head and goes back to reading the book. And I asked the translator, I said, what's wrong? He said, well, she's pissed off because you're here during her break. Oh, my gosh. This is the emergency room, right? He said, yes. I said, so I'm going to have to wait till she's done. He said, yes, So she'll, she'll be another hour and a half. So I had to sit there and wait there for two hours. And uh, when they when she checked me out, she gave me um, uh, the um What's it called? The medicine for uh, uh, the shots for uh, rabies shots. Yeah. Rabies shot. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So she gives me a rabies shot, but it was from 1968. It oh, was dated uh, back to 1968. So these were the old shots and you had to take seven or eight uh, throughout every couple of weeks. You had to take a different shot for like two months. And so I started it there. And once you start the shots, you have to continue on. Obviously, in the United States in 1996, uh, we only had one shot for rabies by then. Our, our, our medicine was going a lot quicker than Russia's medicine. So I had to bring those home and have my doctor apply the shots every couple of weeks. But it was a nightmare from hell. That trip was incredible. Did you see a box or something that said 1968 on it? Yes. On the box, it had the date. It was the date of when it was uh, manufactured.
0: This is unbelievable that this all happened, you know, within a year of you winning the Olympics. It's unbelievable.
1: It's crazy. huh?
0: (laughs) I thought when you were trying to think of the name of the shot, you were going to say penicillin. And I'm like, well, I guess maybe that makes sense, but a rabies shot. I didn't even think of that, but yeah, you got to worry about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I knew the dog had rabies. It was, you know, his eyes were red, dark red and foaming at the mouth. I just knew it it was so dirty. This dog was completely, you know, you could tell, uh, All it did was, uh, you know, uh, eat a bunch of, uh, dead animals along the river. That's all this dog did. Wow. So I knew it had rabies.
0: I'm not going very far. I'm in a rush. It's too uncomfortable. Sometimes I just forget. Don't kid yourself. There's no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. No matter what kind of vehicle you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still need to backle up. That goes for when you ride in taxis or use ride sharing services, too. Law enforcement are on the lookout and riding tickets, so why take the risk? Seatbelts save lives. So, do the smart thing and buckle up every trip, day or night. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. In chapter seven of your book, you wrote that you had made some uh, phone calls dozens of times. It's January 96. You wanted to call Dave Schultz to tell him you'd be coming to work out at Team Foxcatcher the very next day. You left him a message. And when you came home from training that night, you turn on the TV and on CNN. And you see the news, the news anchors telling the story, John DuPont had shot Dave Schultz seemingly without reason. And you wrote that it was shocking, but at the same time, in a weird way, it wasn't, what can you tell us about this unbelievable twist?
1: Well, John, you know, he always did some crazy stuff, you know, and we always thought it was for attention. We didn't think it was anything else was the fact that he loved Dave he was infatuated by Dave and he he was he was vying for attention he was trying to grab the attention away from Dave it was shocking because you know John never attempted to kill anybody before i mean he did some crazy stuff but nothing too crazy not not to the point where we thought he was threatening someone's life but you know John would do crazy stuff just for attention i think that's all all it was for We didn't know that he would uh, go to that length and kill Dave.
0: Had you ever had discussions with Dave about the fact that John would snort cocaine and carry a pistol around? Did he think it was, Hey, he's weird. He's eccentric, but he's harmless. Is that always where it came back to? Or was there a, a thread of violence? Like, man, I don't know. This could get weird or dangerous.
1: It was more, guess what he did today. Yeah, you know, like jokingly, you know, he today he, this is what he did. He took a, he got a tank, bought a tank, and rode it on his farm and started uh, running over all his barns and buildings on his farm, you know. Or he would uh, the, the the president of FILA was visiting Foxcatcher. He's the president of the world governing body of amateur wrestling. This guy's very powerful. He's a big name. John Dupont put him in his car. And drove him down a hill and went straight into a lake. And he, the the guy would have died if John John was an excellent swimmer. So John got him out of the car and brought him back to the shore. But um, you know, the, the 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 president of Fila was really pissed when he came, went into our facility. And it was like John's doing this crazy stuff again. You know, just uh, we just thought he was doing it for attention. We didn't know that he was mentally ill or you know, that he was crazy. We, we, we really didn't know that because we knew nothing about mental illness back in the middle. Right. I mean, you were either crazy or you weren't. And, uh, you know, it was, it was cut, cut dry, but cut and dry. But, you know, John definitely had some form of mental illness.
0: You know, I'm fascinated by the story you just told. He's going to bring the head of amateur wrestling, the governing body of wrestling, and it's a big honor to have that guy come to your facility. I mean, it's got to be something where everybody's getting ready. Okay, let's make sure the facility's clean and everybody have your best shit on and all that type of stuff. And instead, we drive the dude in the lake. Do you think <laughs> he did that just because he wanted to position himself as, oh, I saved this guy's life? Maybe he wanted to have a hero moment.
1: I think perhaps, because like I said, he did a lot of stuff for attention. Yeah. Dave, Dave was getting most of the attention. As a matter of fact, the world governing body of Fila, the president, when he walked in our facility, he walked up to Dave first before John. Mm. So, I mean, I, I know that that really hurt John's feelings. And, you know, I, I think John just had a certain jealousy because he wished he was Dave. He He couldn't be so he was doing everything he could to say, here I am. Look at me, you know, don't look at Dave. I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm the, you know, the head of the club and I'm running it, not Dave. So, uh, I think that that had had a lot to do with their relationship was very close and Dave knew how to calm John down and and control him. Uh, but you know, the day of his death, uh, you know, it was just too late.
0: You know, it's, it's funny that you say, you know, even just the introduction that he, that he wasn't first bothered him. I kept thinking, as you're describing this story these days on social media, people call it clout, Kurt. I don't know that you're in the loop on that, but it feels as if DuPont felt like, or hoped he could buy the clout that Dave had in the wrestling community. Of course, Dave had earned it through blood, sweat, and tears and competition. And maybe DuPont thought, I can't do that. Maybe I can write a check and, and buy the clout that Dave has. And that proved to not be as easy as it was.
1: You're right. And John got a lot of credibility by starting the wrestling club. And, you know, uh, he got a lot of respect from a lot of people, but it wasn't the respect that Dave earned. And I think John was trying to make up for that. He wanted to be Dave and he wanted to have the same respect Dave had. And unfortunately he didn't. There were a lot of wrestlers that feared John because they didn't want to get fired by him. You know, they were, he was our boss, but you know, as far as respect, you know, Dave had the utmost respect on everybody.
0: Is it true? I saw in my research that DuPont didn't do this. I'm going to drive my car in the lake stunt once he did it
1: twice in four days. I heard, I wasn't there the other time, but I was told that he did it twice The second time was with the world governing body of female president.
0: And and I I want to circle back to something you just sort of glossed over because it feels like a make-believe story. I certainly believe you, but I'm saying this is the craziest thing I've ever heard. The dude had a tank and ran over his own
1: shit. Yes. Yes. Hey, thank God he didn't use the gun on the tank. (laughs) He he would have blew up his mansion. It's unbelievable. He he just, he, he, he bought a tank. And I'm not sure where he got it. Uh, obviously, he has a lot of contacts. He could probably get whatever he wanted. And uh, he wrote it on his farm and was uh, knocking over buildings and barns and, you know, just trying to destroy whatever he could. He just uh, felt like doing it that day. He was like, I'm doing John DuPont. And this, this is what I'm going to do today to kill time. And uh, I think he just had a lot of time on his hands and he had a lot of money. And he didn't know what to do with either one of them. Was would you would you categorize
0: John as paranoid?
1: Yes, he was definitely paranoid, and I think the drugs had a lot to do with that. Yeah, because like I said, when he was sniffed that coke and came downstairs, he got really paranoid. You gotta leave, man. I'm, you know, I'm. Uh, I I found something downstairs. You're gonna have to leave, and you know, he was. He thought that, you know, he wanted the wrestler to go in that tunnel, that 600 yard tunnel, because he thought somebody was coming after him. So he was delusional to a point. And I think the drugs had a lot to do with it.
0: Was there any pressure? You know, we'll call it peer pressure, but I guess that's not really the right term here, but I know you guys are all elite athletes training there, but if, if he wants to be like you guys, he might want you to be like him. Is he ever pressuring guys to do cocaine as far as you recall?
1: No, John did that in his own privacy. He didn't want anybody to know about it. I see. I, 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 I'd imagine he had uh, some problems in the past. He also had some problems with alcohol, and uh, I'm sure that he was trying to hide both of those. If he was still drinking, I I didn't think he was still drinking, but I think he switched the drugs to cocaine. And uh, I'm sure that, um, uh, that, you know, that had a lot to do with it.
0: Allegedly four days before the murder, John fell down in his house and manages to knock himself out. But when he comes to, he has reportedly convinced himself that one of his wrestlers had hit him in the back of the head with a bat. And he goes looking for the wrestler, threatening various guys, and even throwing some off the farm. Did you hear of this temper
1: tantrum after the fact? So yeah, John was, uh, very paranoid. And when that occurred, I wasn't there at the time, but he went over to the Foxcatcher facility and he brought a machine gun with him and uh, he jacked up a wrestler named Dave, Dan Che, the guy wrestled the Olympic trials finals. And he pointed the gun at him. He said, get the hell off my farm. You, you knocked me out. And Dan was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He said, I want you to get off my farm right now. And uh, Dan left immediately. He left. He actually sued John about it. He didn't win the lawsuit, but he did sue him over, uh, scaring him to go off the farm. Uh, but that that was four days before Dave. So John was definitely starting to get more dangerous and, uh, scarier.
0: Something else I want to ask about specifically is supposedly when one of the times you were on the farm, he was saying that, boy, this is stupid, but this is what was said. People were haunting him from inside the walls. And he even said, Hey, Kurt, get out from behind that wall. I'm going to shoot it.
1: Yes. Uh, one of the wrestlers were there. It was uh, Trevor Lewis and he, um, he, he was uh, walking with John in the house and John kept looking at the walls and he he thought somebody was behind the walls and he kept telling Trevor to, you know, Uh, they, they would open up, they would knock down part of the wall and look behind it. And, you know, and, and he's like, Hey, Kurt, I know you're here. I know you're behind my wall. And, uh, I wasn't even there. I was, I was back in Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, I, I I was thinking after when Dave got killed, I was like, thank God I wasn't there at the time. Cause I, I don't know what John would have done. Uh, I'm not sure if he would have killed me because I, he didn't have the passion for me that he had for Dave. But, uh, it was pretty scary.
0: Well, let's, let's talk about the incident. We've talked about the movies and the documentary. They're all out there, but it's January 26th, 1996. And to put this in perspective, guys, we're like six months before Kurt's about to win the Olympics. I mean, this is a crazy story. DuPont drives with his security to Dave's house on the farm. And by this point, DuPont had hired a, a former FBI agent as his personal security because he's paranoid and Dave's outside of his home, working on the car and DuPont rolls up, rolls down the window and asks Dave if he has a problem with him and then he shot him and the FBI agent jumps out of the car and runs off. DuPont shoots Dave a second time. And then Dave's wife, Nancy comes running out of the house DuPont aims the gun at her and tells her to go back inside as Dave is crawling away, shot twice. Now, DuPont shoots him in the back a third time. And this time Dave is dead within minutes. This is a real life horror movie that is beyond any story I've ever heard in sports ever. And if you hadn't lived it, I don't know that a lot of us would believe it. What was, uh, what was the talk amongst the, the Schultz family? Did you speak to his wife or Mark or any of the other wrestlers there? What can you tell us about this?
1: Well, I just knew that Dave got shot twice, and uh, John killed him in cold blood. I mean, Dave was on the ground trying to crawl away. The Nancy came out to the porch, and John pointed a gun at her and said, go back in the house. And then he just took the gun and shot Dave in the back one more time. And it's crazy because the FBI agent could have helped. Yeah. He, he took off. Like, you know, he, uh, the second John shot the first time the FBI agent was scared to death. He just took off and went and ran to the woods, uh, but John just killed Dave in cold blood. It was, uh, uh, it was really sad. It was uh mind blowing. Uh, we, we never thought that he would ever do something like this, but You know, like I said, you look at some of the patterns that he did, and you look back now and you say, oh, we should have seen this coming. We definitely should have seen it coming. But when you're you're in the moment, you don't know. And uh, John seemed to be harmless. So it was was a really tough situation. And, you know, my heart went out to the Schultz family because, uh, you know, Dave was truly loved by all of them.
0: It's okay, you can admit it. You're skeptical about all my commercials about savewithconrad.com. So was Nathan in Fairfield, Pennsylvania. He left us a five-star review over at ConradReviews.com, and here's what he had to say. I've been hearing the ads for Save with Conrad on his podcast network for years, but I was skeptical about it being able to benefit me. Boy was I wrong. The process was quick, easy, and has put my family in a better place. The service delivers all that is promised, quick and easy, as advertised. That's really what we do, Nathan, and thank you for your business. We greatly appreciate it at SaveWithConrad.com. Right now, we can save your family just like we did Nathan's. Skeptics are allowed and welcome, but if you've got a 30-year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, there's never been a better time to take advantage of this opportunity than right now. What we're talking about is saving tens of thousands of dollars from the comfort of your own home. You don't have to get dressed up in a three piece suit for a two hour appointment across town with a banker. Check it out right now. Save with Conrad.com. And if we can't save you money, we won't waste your time, but what you're really getting is the peace of mind of knowing that you've got the best deal for your family with my family at save with Conrad.com. NMLS number six, five, zero eight, four equal housing lender. Oh, and did I mention no house payments for two months? Come on, let's take a summer vacation from house payments at savewithconrad.com. You wrote in your book, even with all that money, he was never happy with his life. His parents expected a lot out of him and he didn't deal with that well. And he even wrote as much as I hate him for what he did. I felt bad for him in some ways. This has got to be. I don't know, man, just a worst case scenario for you. I mean, this is your mentor who helps put you in touch with the Fox catcher opportunity. And DuPont was always supportive of yours and helping cover travel expenses and other things. But my gosh, now a real life tragedy has happened and you're supposed to be focused on the biggest accomplishment of your life. Just a few months after this.
1: Yeah, this was a little speed bump and, uh, the- And my journey to the Olympics and it it was tough. I mean, uh, knowing Dave wasn't going to be there anymore and knowing that the club, uh, you know, I didn't want any part of the club anymore. I didn't want the blood money. Uh, So I quit the club right away before anyone ever tried to contact me. I was the first one to clip, quit the club and Nancy Schultz found out and she called me and said, Hey, I'm starting the Dave Schultz wrestling club. I'd like you to be the first member. And I said, all right, I'll do it, Nancy. And she said, well, what were you getting paid at Foxcatcher? I was like, wait a minute, you're going to pay me? She said, yeah. I said, well, I made this much. And she said, well, that's what we're giving you. I said, Nancy, you don't have to do that. I'll just wrestle for Dave Schultz Wrestling Club. That's fine. And she said, no, I want to make sure you get paid what you were getting paid at Foxcatcher. What you did was first class. And I really appreciate you doing that. Uh, so, you know, it was, it was a really nice conversation with Nancy, uh, because, you know, I was going to be her first member of her club. And it it was the first time that I talked to her since the death of Dave.
0: What was the last time? Do you still keep in touch with Nancy?
1: Yeah, we, we talk every once in a while, probably once or twice a year. We text each other here and there. Uh, I talked to her son Xander. Uh, they le- I live out in California. She went on with her life. She moved on. I believe she got married again. And, uh, the, you know, her kids are grown up now, which is crazy. But, you know, time goes by really quickly.
0: What about uh, Dave's brother, Mark? Are you in touch with him or have you ever
1: been? We contact each other through social media every once in a while. I, I've never been close with Mark, but Mark and I have earned each other's respect out of what we've accomplished in wrestling. And out of because of Dave, because of how I valued Dave and how he valued Dave. And we have that connection because of Dave.
0: I want to tell the rest of the DuPont story. I feel, you know, like it's worth mentioning because it feels, I don't know, unfair. After John murders Mr. Schultz, he goes back to his mansion and just holds up for like 60 hours before the cops trick him into coming outside. And there's a lot of controversy around this because. Well, the police were handling DuPont like he weren't exactly a murderer. I mean, they had become friends with him. He had let the entire police force train on his farm. So he was friendly with them, with all these guys, but a typical police standoff doesn't last three days, especially with a single guy like this. who's not exactly Chuck Norris, um, <laughs> What did you think of the way the local police handled this whole situation? I mean, the, the Schultz family had to be furious.
1: So they, they held John up, but I'm, I'm not surprised why they did it because John was dangerous. John knew how to use machine guns. He knew how to use grenades. He had all that stuff in his mansion. And I believe the FBI, even though and the police there, they, they were friends with John. They knew John very well, but they also knew john knew how to use these weapons and they didn't want a big you know war going on so uh they they wanted the standoff i'm sure it wouldn't have gone much longer i'm sure they would ended up breaking in the house but uh they they were trying to make it a peaceful standoff because they knew john was dangerous and he was he knew how to use all that stuff and uh, he had a lot of it in his house
0: well, eventually he's taken into custody and uh, of course this thing's going to go to trial and of course he's got a ton of cash. So he's going to hire some high powered defense attorneys who are going to try to paint him as a uh, sort of the patriarch and donor of this American wrestling team, but he was really being taken advantage of by these young wrestlers because he had shown some interest in the sport. Were you a part of the trial? Do you remember all this?
1: No, I wasn't part of the trial, but- it pissed me off that the you know, the attorneys thought we were taking advantage of him. When you take advantage of a guy, you try to rob him of his money. Uh, the guy has no say in what you're going to do to that person. In other words, John told us what we're getting paid, uh, what we had to do, where we had to go. He was in charge of everything. We couldn't take advantage of him because he was very, uh, very canny about how to run a club he he was doing it with the swim club and the pentathlon club. So he, he had experience doing this. We weren't taking advantage of him. Now we might've taken advantage of the fact that he was mentally ill, but we didn't know it at the time. We just thought he was doing it for attention because, uh, you know, that's John always wanted attention, right? That's, that, that was him. He, he always, the reason he even started a club was for attention. So, he was, he was a lonely old guy that wanted to have, uh, some form of attention and that that's how he was going to get it.
0: Ultimately, he pleads insanity. The defense is eventually, uh, thrown out of court and on February 25th, 1997, he's found guilty of third degree murder, but it's not your typical guilty victory. It's uh, guilty, but mentally ill as a verdict. And the judge sentences him to 13 to 30 years incarceration He's going to be housed in a minimum security facility in Pennsylvania. And, uh, he was first eligible for parole on January, uh, 29th, 2009, but he wasn't granted it. And of course, uh, the next year he passed away in December, 2010 of COPD. And boy, this is weird. According to his will, he wanted to be, and I guess was buried in his red Fox catcher wrestling singlet. What a strange story, Kurt.
1: It is strange. And, you know, uh, John was just an odd figure. He, you know, the way he went about things, he was very eccentric. No doubt about that. He definitely was mentally ill. We just didn't know it at the time. And, uh, you know, he just, he always, he was always taking drugs. So, you know, we don't know what clouded his decisions or what made him do what he did. We don't know if he was just playing crazy, if it was the drugs or if it was the animosity toward Dave, we don't really know what it was, but it was, it was a really, uh, you know, depressing situation, especially uh, six months before the Olympics.
0: Let's talk about the Olympics. But first I want to mention if there is a bright spot, uh, in any of this story, because there's not many, um, allegedly Anonymous sources tell the Philadelphia Inquirer that John DuPont paid at least $35 million to Nancy Schultz and her family as part of a settlement. So listen, there's no replacing a husband and a father and a dad and a partner and a coach and a mentor, but it's nice to know that, you know, Nancy doesn't have to now say, Oh God, what now? Right.
1: Yes. Uh, the, the, the deal, you know, the situation they got, uh, with the money, the $35 million, uh, that's not going to replace Dave. But no. Nancy didn't have to worry about what she had to do the rest of her life. Yes. She knew her, her and her kids would be taken care of. So, you know, if anything good came out of it, that was uh, the only good thing.
2: It's your weekly reminder to make sure that you are taking advantage of all things Conrad over at adfreeshows.com. The content library is phenomenal with so many options that cater to you, the wrestling fan. Whether you enjoy hearing your favorite podcasts ad-free or watching them on your smart device, maybe you're interested in MMA or just enjoy the wrestling nostalgia, I guarantee there is something for you. The interactive experiences alone are worth every penny. From Nick Aldis and Thunder Rosa, to legends like Nikita Koloff, Arn Anderson, and Jim Ross. They have all been a part of our live interactive events where you get to talk to them and ask the questions that are on your mind. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to adfreeshows.com and choose the right tier for you. So much value and a wide selection that is free as well. That's right, free content you can start enjoying today. So do it now. Go to adfreeshows.com. And sign up today and join the fastest-growing wrestling community. Again, it's adfreeshows.com.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and it's weird to even say that, but it is like, you know, that's one less thing they have to worry about. Let's talk about the Olympics. And we're going to do a whole episode on that, of course, because we're right here at the 25-year anniversary. So uh, we don't want to talk all about the Olympics now, but a, a few months after this, man, you're going to, be in the biggest stage of them all and accomplish all of your goals here. And you hold a big press conference afterwards. And of course that's natural. That always happens, but you see Nancy in the crowd crying and you say to the crowd quote, Nancy, I just want you to know Dave had the greatest impact in the world on me. That one was for Dave too. I want to thank you for everything you did for me. And I especially want to thank your husband for helping me win the gold medal. This is the bright spot in the story that he may be gone, but his legacy lives on through your Olympic victory, right?
1: Yes. I couldn't have done it without Dave or Nancy. I mean, th- those two are the most giving people in the world. What Dave did for me for my wrestling career and how Nancy was able to uh, continue to pay me while I competed uh, during the Olympic trials in the Olympics. Um, those two are the most giving people I've ever met. And I'm indebted for the rest of my life to them.
0: Let's uh, bring the focus back to David Schultz for a minute. When he died, David was only 36 years old. Uh, he was maybe past his elite prime from the eighties, but he's still trying to make the Olympics one last time. And he was great. So great that he was ranked number one in the USA in his weight class in 95. How do you think the Olympics would have shaken out? Had Dave been a part of them?
1: Well, if Dave would have continued to be number one in 1996, as he was in 1995, he made the world team that year. And in 1996, he was ranked number one, but we still had the Olympic trials. If he would have won the trials, he definitely would have medaled. There's no doubt about that. Uh, That's our best weight class. Uh, It's our most competitive weight class is the 163 pound weight class right around that position or that, that, that weight category. And, uh, Dave, whether it was Dave or Kenny Monday or who, whoever was going to be, they were going to medal. So Dave, Dave was definitely one of the favorites. And if he would have made the team, he definitely would have meddled.
0: To tell our, our just pro wrestling fans who are listening, how important Mr. Schultz was to you. Almost all of your gear was an homage to Dave Schultz. Can you explain that?
1: Yes, my rookie year, I wore Dave Schultz's singlet, the, the one that they uh, attributed to Dave after his death. It's the one he wore in the 1995 World Championships. It's the the red red and blue singlet with the American flag on the front. I wore it my rookie year, and that that's the same singlet that, that Dave, uh, that they made in remembrance of Dave. So I did that uh, in memory of Dave
0: let's jump to some questions. We got a, a ton here. Uh, Roger wants to know, Kurt, did you see the film and what did you think of it?
1: I thought the film was good. I thought it was really accurate except for the innuendo that Mark might've been gay, uh, with John, that was just a little far fetched. Yeah. Uh, and, And they did some things to build up drama, uh, another thing was uh, uh John DuPont's mother was not alive when Foxcatcher started. So uh, those two things are the only things uh but other than that it was pretty accurate.
0: Umar wants to know if Dave was alive when you decided to pursue a career in professional wrestling, what would he have said about it?
1: Actually Dave, he's a free spirit. He would have said go get it, man. Make that money. That that's Dave. Dave would have been uh, 100% uh, supportive of it. Definitely. That's the kind of guy he is. He just, he's a California boy. You know, he, he goes with the wind and, uh, you know, he's, he's just, uh, I never seen him have an argument with anybody. He's the nicest guy in the world. He would have said, go do it.
0: A wrestling historian wants to know what was the best lesson Dave taught you?
1: That you can never learn enough. That the learning is never finished. Not until the day you die. I'm sure that Dave, that's the way Dave led his life. I'm sure he learned something new right before his death because he was always learning. And, uh, I, I took his advice, you know, uh, the, the, the only way you learn is by listening and, uh, you know, you, you talking all the time, you're not going to learn anything, right? You listening to somebody and taking their advice. That's how you learn. And that's what Dave taught me.
0: Uh, Christian says you've explained in an interview that whenever a tragedy happened to you, you would use that pain to fuel yourself into working harder. Do you think that every highlight of your career is a result from that? Or is it just a coincidence?
1: No, I think it's a result of it. Um, I've always been able to um, deal with controversy and uh, pain. Uh, I think uh, the reason is I try to shut it out and I try to keep myself busy by doing the task at hand, which for most of my life has been competing and performing. So, you know, it's one of those things where I, I just have to, uh, you know, stay focused on it and, and, and do what I do best. And that's what I do.
0: J.M. Wagner wants to know any memories of Kenny Monday. He wrestled at Dave's weight and won gold in 88, four years after Dave and silver in 80 92.
1: Kenny Monday was one of the best wrestlers in the history of American wrestling too. He's up there with Dave and they were both competing for the same spot. They actually uh, rotated 1984, 88, 92, uh, back and forth. So um, both of them were exceptional wrestlers and uh, two of the best wrestlers of all time. And uh, Kenny was uh, very special. He had a, a great talent. Uh he was really quick. Uh the Russians nicknamed him the Puma, uh, because he was like a cat. <laughs> and uh him and Dave would have been the two favorites.
0: Well, I know what uh Kenny Monday's favorite snack would be these days if he's looking for protein. And of course it's chicken snacks. And man, I got to tell you, I'm seeing tweets left and right about this stuff lately, Kurt. I don't know if you've seen what I saw, but people love the Randy Orton interview. And I think that cinnamon flavor is flying off the shelves. I see your Buffalo wing there. <laughs> it's still your favorite. Uh, yeah. Things are good over in the chicken snacks land, aren't they?
1: Yeah, we're doing pretty well. Uh, thank you to all the listeners for ordering the chicken snacks. Uh, you can get them at physicallyfit.com. Use the promo code anglepod 20 and get 25. 25- 20% off your order, uh, or you can, uh, do what Conrad says.
0: <laughs> yeah, man, go to amazon.com. You can pick them up there. You can even go find them, uh, nearby. If you want some today, I bet there's a store within driving distance. There's three within driving distance of me. You want to know where to go, go to PhysicallyFit.com. click where to order. And you can just type in your zip code and bam, I've got one. That's just two miles from me, but I like saving cash and you do too. So do this instead Click order online now, and you don't just have chicken snacks to choose from. You've got plant-based protein as well, right,
1: Kurt? Yes, we have the plant-based protein. It's 100% organic plant protein. So you can do the chicken snacks or the snack smart. They're both incredible. We have 11 different flavors. They're awesome.
0: Check it out. You're going to be glad you did. Don't forget to use that promo code AnglePod. You'll save 20% off your entire order, not just one bag, but every order. And I want to mention too, the list price is 9.99, but of course with your 20% off it's 8 bucks. But there's seven servings a bag, right? You're talking seven different servings, Kurt.
1: Yeah, so it's not one serving. So it's it's not that expensive. It's 9.99 that's before the promo code, your coupon off, 20% off. But uh, it has seven servings in it, 10 grams per serving, so it's 70 grams of protein per bag.
0: So, you're talking like a little over a dollar for 10 grams of protein. What are you waiting on? Check it out physicallyfit.com. Use that promo code AnglePod. And I'm really excited to brag on you. You're still doing something really cool over at KurtAngleBrand.com. You can still get birthday cards, which is the best birthday present you could ever give the wrestling fan in your life. You've got autograph photos, all very affordable, but you got cowboy hats, you got milk cartons, and maybe my favorite thing, people can send you their stuff to get signed by you. So maybe you met Kurt once upon a time, have Kurt sign that photo. Maybe you've got an old world title. Kurt loves that old big Eagle championship. If you got a replica, Kurt will sign it for you. Right, Kurt?
1: Yes. You, uh, give me a small donation for charity and I will send you back whatever you have me, want me to sign. Just, uh, go to the address on my website, send it to that address. I will sign it for you return it for you. All I ask is for a small donation for charity.
0: It's, uh, the Kurt angle brand.com. And don't forget, you can follow us online. If you haven't already on Twitter, uh, it's at the angle pod. And I want to mention too, we've got one heck of a schedule coming up Next week is perhaps our most requested topic. It's your street fight with Shane McMahon. And I don't want to just talk about the match. I think we should watch the match. Kurt, what say you?
1: That would be awesome. I haven't seen that match in like 10 years. I would love to watch it and, uh, and, uh, commentate over it, uh, you know, let the fans know what I was thinking and what I was feeling at that particular time, because that was a really painful match.
0: It's going to be unbelievable. It's hard to believe it's been 20 years since that match happened. And it's coming up next right here on the Kurt angle show. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it and tell your friends about your favorite new wrestling podcast, it's the Kurt angle show right here on Westwood one. We'll see you next week. Everybody.
1: Thanks guys.
0: If you've been listening to this show for a while, you know how much Arn loves his family, specifically how much he loves his wife. Arne is really a rare bird in professional wrestling. When you think about it. And the first time I hung out with Arne, he said, you know, I'm different. And I thought, well, where's this going? And he said for over 30 years, same business, same house, same wife. That's pretty rare, man. It's almost fair to say that Arne's in the love business. I don't tell him I said that. And you know what? We love talking about our friend, Steven Singer. You know, the competition really hates him. He makes the experience of buying a diamond better and better. And he makes it fun. Steven is the very first to offer each and every guest the perfect price. That's right. Have you ever wondered if you're getting the best price? Are you uncomfortable negotiating? Head to Steven singer jewelers and you're guaranteed to get the perfect price. You'll never pay more than the person next to you. And here's a little insider tip. Most jewelers mark their merchandise way up just to mark it down to make you feel like you're getting a deal. Yeah. Those jewelers are practicing kayfabe. The person next to you may be paying less. Do you want an important purchase like diamond jewelry to be based on your negotiating skills? Come on, man. That's not the case at Steven singer because at Steven singer jewelers. You're guaranteed to get the perfect price all day, every day, 365 days a year. And that's why we trust Steven singer. He makes the experience of buying a diamond so easy. So check out Steven Singer Jewelers at the other corner of 8th and Walnut in Philadelphia or online at IHateStevenSinger.com. Steven Singer Jewelers, one place, one price. That's IHateStevenSinger.com. Remember back in the day, they used to say diamonds are forever. Well, let's adjust that. IHateStevenSinger.com is forever. And we thank them for sponsoring today's podcast. All right, real quick, before we get out of here, I got to say it one last time. I want to save you money. Stop what you're doing and rush over to savewithconrad.com. This is going to be the best summer ever. Just ask Miguel in Plainsville, Ohio. He left us a five-star review at conradreviews.com, and it said this. Big thank you to Conrad and his team. I enjoyed my experience working with First Family Mortgage. Jimmy was there anytime I had any questions. He was just a text message away. Saving money and refinancing my home couldn't have been any easier. Miguel 7, a whole bunch of cash, and you can too right now. You don't need perfect credit or money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. But I do want to mention, this isn't just for refinancing. Maybe you've outgrown your current home or you're tired of throwing your money away on rent. First Family Mortgage can help you get into your next house fast and easy at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. And oh yeah, no house payments for two months. Come on, let's make this the best summer ever with a little summer vacation from house payments at SaveWithConrad.com.
2: NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Woo!